Some of you who have been around here a while know that when I was in high school, I played a little bit of basketball. And, and I say a little bit of basketball because I know you wouldn't know it to look at me now, but I'm not that great an athlete. You know, I, I, when I was in high school, I started the first half of my senior year, and then the second half when we went into district, my coach came to me and he said, Mac, man, you have just a great attitude. That's kind of the equivalent of saying, you know, she has a great personality. That, that's what the coach was telling me at that point. But there was one shining moment of glory in my basketball career. Our first game of the season, we had had a really, really horrific run as a school up to my senior year. My junior year, we got a new coach in place, and we had gone from 1-22 and to 12 and 12. So we went 500 my junior year. My senior year, expectations were soaring. And we opened the season against our hated crosstown rival, Memorial High School. The hated Mustangs of Memorial. And we were going into their house. And because this was the first half of my senior season and not the second half, I was actually starting in this game. And I brought the ball down the left side off of the opening tip. Passed it back to the guard who could actually dribble. And then I began to kind of run through the play. And I ran the baseline, caught a pick. And as I got through the pick, I was wide open. First play of the game. Wide open. And all of a sudden, I see the ball coming to me. I catch it. And without even thinking, I jump, spinning in the air, shooting a fallaway jumper that hits nothing but the bottom of the net. I should have retired right then. That, that was the greatest moment of my athletic career. Two points. That was it. Now, I tell you that to tell you this. Though I remember that moment, when I think back to my high school basketball career, it's not that shot that is the first thing I think about. The first thought that I have when I think about high school basketball is walking down that long hallway at Robert E. Lee High School in Houston, toward the gym, getting ready for practice. It's the September and October conditioning drills that we did at the Post Oak YMCA, running that track lap after lap after lap. It's the six-minute mile that I had to run in order to make it onto the floor for the first day of practice. It's all of those things that my teammates and I did when nobody else was looking. That is my fondest, my first memory of high school basketball. And I think that dynamic is something that plays out in our lives in a way that transcends athletics. Because the most important thing that you do is the stuff you do when nobody's looking. I'm going to say that again because it really matters. The most important thing that you do is what you do when no one is looking. Now, that night that I hit that turnaround, fadeaway, fallaway jumper that set us on a path to beat Memorial for the first time since Moses was a baby, that's a great memory. But it's that time, those hours that I put in with my teammates when the lights weren't on, when nobody else was around, when our coach was yelling at us and hammering us to get better, pushing us and challenging us. What was true of my high school career is true of our spiritual lives as well. Going to church, being here on a weekend matters and it's important. But spiritually speaking, 
the most important thing that you do is what you do when no one is looking, when no one else is around to applaud or rebuke. It's that time that you spend with God. And that's where we find ourselves today as we come to the end of this series, CrossFit. I want you to think back with me a few weeks and months even. On Easter Sunday, we started this series by looking at the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone was fit for the cross. He was the only one who could satisfy the demands of the cross. And because he was fit for the cross, he invites you and me to be fit for our crosses. Remember what the Bible says. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5. When it talks about the Christian life and what it means to follow Christ, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We've covered every single one of those one week at a time over the last few weeks. And then the very last slice of the fruit of the Spirit, say it with me, gentleness and self-control. What you do when nobody's looking. Now, Paul goes on and he says, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, read it with me, crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now, if you've been here for even three or four of this series, you already know where we're going. But it's imperative that you understand and that we continue to sear into our minds and our hearts what it means to crucify the flesh. And I think it's so important that we have this spiritually metabolized, that it's a part of who we are on a regular basis, that to crucify the flesh means that we have identified with Christ. It means that we've identified with him. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, then you will take up your cross and follow me. That, that you will identify with him personally and definitively. I think on this rainy June morning, it is so imperative that we make sure that we everybody here understands that that is a choice that God has given to you. God has initiated this choice in your life. He has offered to you forgiveness of your sin through Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the only one fit for the cross. He's the only one who has the authority to forgive your sins. But you have a choice to make. Going to church does not make you a follower of Christ. I would even suggest to you this. Being a good guy or a good girl does not make you a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ means that you have personally and definitively stepped over that line of trust, that line of faith in Christ and said, I am all in. Imperfectly, I don't understand it all. I don't have all the answers, but I am all in. That's what it really and truly means. And if that hasn't happened in your life, then the reality is you are not following Christ. You may be a good guy. You may be a good girl, but you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ until you have crucified the flesh and identified with him. Now, when we talk about self-control, I mean, self-control, that, that is taking faith 
to what we kind of call around here the H&L. You know what I'm talking about? The whole nother level. Where, where you say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to move beyond just doing what other people see that I do, showing up at church, being a good guy, and I'm going to get serious about my faith. Because look at that list going back to Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Here's the deal. The people around me, they see whether or not that happens. And to a large degree, we can fake that. You can't fake self-control. Self-control is faith on the HNL. Self-control is faith lived out when no one is looking. I want to ask you if you will take your program out and on the little notes section, we're going to have some fun this morning as we wrap this series up. I want you to write down the left-hand margin here, just the word self. Self. And as you're writing that, I want you to look at the person sitting next to you, downtown, y'all as well, and tell them, get you some self-control. You just preached today's sermon. Get you some self-control. You know, we've all had habits in our lives that we've tried to break. We, we've all had maybe even some, some hang-ups and even perhaps addiction that we've tried to walk away from. And how many times have we done that and said, this time, I, I, I'm going to do I'm a, my willpower. I, I will do it. Come on. And yet, we fall back into the same habits, hang-ups. A lot of times we do that because we're trying to do it all on our power. Let me give you a working definition of self-control that, that turns willpower on its head, if you will. Self-control is better described biblically as God willpower. God willpower. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was crucified? And it may encourage you to know that Jesus told God he didn't want to do that. I love that about Jesus. I love that about his, his transparency. And he just said, God, if there's any way around this pain, this agony, this separation, let's find it together, shall we? But what did Jesus follow that up with? He said, not my will, but your will be done. And it was in the power of God that Jesus went through the cross, that Jesus went through death to resurrection and a new life. And so self-control, biblically speaking, is not about Mac being stronger than you or stronger than I was yesterday. It's about the will and power of God welling up within me and flowing out of me. That is true self-control. We looked at a passage of scripture last week for a different purpose that I want to go back to this week as we talk about God willpower. Second Timothy chapter one says the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline, power, love and self-discipline, self-discipline. So that we don't have to 
have it imposed upon us, we instead not only impose it, but embrace it in our lives. So when you think about self-control, I want to just very, very briefly talk about how you do that, that word self. And we're going to make this a little interactive. We haven't done this in a while. But for the S, I want to ask you, if you will, with passion and enthusiasm, give me a huge, resounding S when I ask for it. Give me an S. S. Submit. Submit. You want self-control? You submit to God. It ain't about you. It's not about me. Check this out. This kind of blows the good guy theory out of the water. Check this out in 1 Peter. The Bible says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. That's our goal. Our goal is not good. Our goal is holiness. That's what we're striving for. But the only way that I get to holiness, the only way you get to holiness, is to truly submit to the will of God. That your life begins to conform to the image of Scripture rather than trying to make Scripture conform to what you want your life to look like. That's not submission. And submission is tough. Submission is hard. How many are men in the house? Let me just see a show of hands from the guys. Guys, can we just kind of keep it real for just a second? None of us wants to say uncle. How many of you had a, how many, when you were a kid, your dad wrestled with you on the living room floor and he kind of holds you down and, and he goes, say uncle, say uncle. How many of you, did anybody ever have that happen? Or maybe I was the only one that was scarred. Man, I remember as a little boy, I did not want to say, Uncle, I'm not giving in. But for whatever reason, my dad didn't let me up until I said, Uncle. Now, we were just playing and wrestling on the living room floor. But we need to understand to submit to God is actually to submit to our own best interests. Follow this. God is love. Period. That's not open for debate. That's not, that's not a question mark. That's a given. So because God is love, that means that he cannot do anything counter to what's best for me, what's best for you. That's what it means to love somebody. You look out for their interest. You take care of them. Love is a verb. God is love. And so when I submit to God, I'm submitting to my own best interest. Now, how many of you are women in the house? Can I see a show of hands from the ladies? Submission, I've heard, can be a challenge for y'all. I've heard, I've read books. I've been married. I've heard submission is tough. May I suggest to you 
that it's only different between men and women in the application, but the principle remains the same. There's something inside of us that resists submission. There's something inside of us that says, I ain't giving up to nobody. And when we refuse to submit, we miss God's best. When we refuse to submit, we miss God's best. You want self-control? Start with submission. The Bible says it. Be holy because I am holy. Submit. Give me an E. E. Evaluate. Evaluate yourself. Be honest before God with yourself. In your prayer life, which assumes that you have one, in your prayer life, say, God, search me and find any offensive way that is within me. That was David's prayer in the Psalms. Search me, find any offensive way, not just an offensive action, not just a sinful word that came out of my mouth, but any tendency in my thought life, any habit that nobody knows about. God, search that and flush it out of my life. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God's distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I need help in evaluation. I need help. I need people to point out my blind spots. Right now, some of you are thinking, maybe downtown of Brazos Hall, you're thinking, mm-mm, mm-mm, not going to do it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm telling you. It's for your own good. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ask somebody, help me find my blind spot so that I can evaluate where I really and truly am spiritually before God. That means that you open your life up to a trusted confidant, another follower of Christ, somebody who loves God as much as you do and loves you. You know, in the last 25 years, accountability has gotten a really warped rap in the Christian church. We thought erroneously that we could institutionalize accountability. And you know what? You can't. Real accountability flows out of trust and relationship. You're only as accountable as you really want to be. I'm only as accountable as I want to be. Fortunately, fortunately, I married a woman who believes in accountability. Somebody help me preach. I mean, this is a woman who will flat out tell me what I need to hear and not just what I want to hear. Believe me. I've got men in my life that have carte blanche. They can look at my bank account. They can look at my browser, uh, web, internet history at any moment. My son and I keep each other accountable in that way. We, we don't have this, 
Well, it's private. It's my phone. No, it's not. I pay for your phone. So I can look at it anytime I want to. It's accountability. It's for Him. It's an act of love. He has the same accountability rights with me. You want to talk about accountable? If you're going to let your son look at your computer screen and where you've been over the last week at any moment with no warning, <laughs> I'm on Google and ESPN. That's about it. But you need that help to accurately evaluate, to game film your life. And if you have middle school, elementary, middle school, high school students in your household, every screen must be available at all times with no warning for their sake. It's an act of love. So, submit, evaluate. L, give me an L. L. Lead. Lead. Let me tell you a phenomenal way to build accountability into your life is to lead somebody else spiritually. This week, as a church family, we will host almost 1,500 children for Vacation Bible School. You should pray every time you think about it this week. The lives that God will touch, it's genuinely overwhelming to get to be a part of that as a church family. We all have a role to play in that. But let me tell you about the value for high school kids who are going to be leading elementary school kids this week. They're going to have some accountability built into their lives in those little eyes, in those little lives that look up to them, that say, oh, I saw them on stage doing the motionology. I'm leading that group so you can rest easy. Or, hey, I, I saw that guy when he was leading the games at VBS. I know that guy. He's in high school, man. He's like a, he's like a rock star. And these high school kids are like, that's right. <laughs> pretty much am. Can I tell you something? You pretty much are. And there are lives watching you to see how you handle your life. And that's true for all of us. That accountability is built in when you lead. And the only way to lead is to serve. When you serve other people to help them grow up in their faith. That's the only way to lead. Hebrews 10, 24 may be the pillar verse for Lake Hills Church. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's think about, let's deliberately and intentionally spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That love is community and connectedness with each other. But out of that, we're going to do the stuff. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere that we go. And if we're going to follow Christ truly, we're going to lead. So submit, evaluate, lead. F. Give me an F. F. Follow. But you just said lead. 
That's right, I did. And follow. Follow. Hebrews 13 is a powerful verse. 13, 17. The Bible says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. In order to develop self-control in my life, I've got to be following somebody. I've got to have a mentor in my life. You know the best way to find a mentor is to go help somebody who's already doing something. Go say, I want to be a part of what you're doing. How can I help? That will be your mentorship. This, this idea that we call somebody and go, hey, I need you to mentor me. I want to, I want to tell you the books that I want to read. Have you asked questions about it? And then, no. That's a whack view of mentorship. Mentoring means that you bring someone along as an apprentice. And they are following you. Think about Paul Revere, the silversmith. We all know one of by land, two of by sea, but Paul Revere was a silversmith. And in that day and age, the silversmith would have an apprentice silversmith. That apprentice silversmith showed up early and went home late and did whatever was asked of him so that he could learn the trade. Who are you apprenticed to spiritually? Who are you learning from spiritually on a day in and day out, regular basis? Somebody has got to know just a little more than you somewhere. Find them, go to work and follow them. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I was preparing and praying through this sermon, and as I was thinking about my own life and the areas where I need more self-control, more God willpower, it was a little overwhelming. I'm just curious, is there anybody, maybe downtown, anybody for whom self-control, maybe in one particular area, is just a little overwhelming? It's like, man, I don't know. Thank you all for raising your hands. The rest of you. It's already lightning outside. I'm just saying. <laughs> I want you to be encouraged in self-control. Moses was passing the baton of leadership over the nation of Israel to Joshua. And in passing that baton... He spoke to the nation of Israel in kind of his farewell address. He reminded them of where they had been, what they had done, what they had seen together. To encourage them that God was their God and that he was with them, that his hand of favor and blessing was on them. That his hand of favor and blessing would now be on Joshua as their leader. And he said something really, really profound that I think is a perfect ending to this CrossFit series 
as well as this discussion of self-control. In his concluding remarks, Moses said this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He said, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and I want, I want you with passion and enthusiasm, tell them it ain't too much. It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get to it and proclaim it to us so that we obey it? No. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Here's the deal. You know enough stuff to follow Christ. You know enough. Now comes do it. Do it. There is no magic bullet. There's no formula that we're going to reveal next Sunday. Moses is telling Israel, God is telling us, it's their for the taking. Just do what you know to do right now. Obey what you already know to be true. Submit. Very, very briefly, I want to give you two tests of submission. Can I just, just real quickly, if you're wondering, am I submitted? Am I genuine in my following of Christ. Two tests. Number one, money. And number two, sex. If you're submitted to God in those two areas, you're submitted. Money and sex. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what you do with your money, what I do with my money, is the clearest indication of whether or not we're submitted to God. Do you tithe? If you don't tithe, then don't say that you're submitted. Don't say that you're really, really serious. about. Now again, I'm talking about Christ followers. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, you just got a 10% raise. But for Christians to truly submit, and then number two, our sexuality. Our sexuality. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all. Say all. all. And the marriage bed kept pure. Kept pure. Sex is a gift from God. One man, one woman, one life. And it's a gift to be cherished and enjoyed and celebrated between husband and wife. And outside of that is to be honored. So, just two tests. You just kind of keep those things in mind. And remember the words of Moses. It's not too difficult. It's not beyond you. Our kids just got their last report card for the school year. They don't know this. I went to the mailbox before they got there. <laughs> now, I'm not going to go into their specific grades. But I will tell you a pattern that we have in our household. If Emily or Joseph makes a grade that is, let's say, a 
surprise to their mom and me, then we have a conversation. I'm done, you know, and they do pretty well. We don't, we don't deal with this a whole lot. But sometimes there's a grade that's a little bit of a surprise. And my question for either one of my kids is, let's say, and I'm pulling the number out of the air. This is not a true story. This is a dramatization. Okay? So for dramatic effect, let's say that they made a 50 for their semester. They didn't. Passed everything. Awesome. But let's just say that they made a 50 for their semester. I would say to Emily and Joseph, or Joseph, whichever one it was. Now, are you telling me that 50% of this class was over your head? It, it was just intellectually more than you could possibly wrap your brain around. You're just like, I don't get it. If that's the case, and you did your best, then we're golden. Have a great summer. But if not... If you kind of messed around, didn't do the work, didn't turn in stuff, didn't study for tests, now all of a sudden, Daddy has a surprise for you. <laughs> I'll take the keys. I'll take the cell phone. And I look forward to spending some great quality time with you. It's not too difficult. It's not beyond our reach. The Word is near us. It is in our mouths and in our hearts that we may obey the Word. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is near. He is there for the taking. The heart of self-control is Jesus. The power that raised him from the dead is available to you and to me for our own self-control day in and day out. And that is good news. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship with Christ, you've never personally and definitively put your flag up and said, I'm in. I'm not going to try to be just good I want to be holy in Christ, through Christ. In just a moment, as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. To just pray where you're sitting. A prayer of commitment. A prayer of relationship beginning. And if you have prayed that prayer, then you be praying with everything that you've got for that person on your right or your left. That person that you've invited to be a part of this service today. But this is the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The commands of God are not burdensome, but they are there to give us life. Life overflowing. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And if you're here today or maybe downtown at Brazos Hall and you've never 
stepped into a relationship with Christ, then I want to invite you to pray right now with everything that you've got. That, that prayer of beginning, that prayer of commitment to Him. Just talk to Him. Just silently, right where you're sitting, just say, God, I need you. You are God and I am not. Jesus, what you did on the cross for me, today I accept once and for all. I confess my sin. And Jesus, I claim your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Because this is holy ground. This is a sacred moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time, maybe downtown here on our West Campus, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment? And as you hold your hands up, I want you to make sure that you know that this is a moment this is a moment that deserves to be marked, to be celebrated in your life because it's the most important moment of your life. This is the moment from which God will build the rest of your life. And so we want to just give you a gift to mark that moment but also to help you with the next step. And so as a church, we welcome you into the family of faith. We're honored by the fact that we got to be in the room with you when God did that in your life. And we want to be a part of helping you to grow in this new relationship. And if we can, if it's okay with you, we'd like to just celebrate God and you in this moment and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.